Good evening. It's good to see you all. I'm Pastor Eric, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. For those of you who are here with us present, or for those of, that are live streaming or going to watch the recording later, it's good to be here together to worship um, each and every week to come and gather, uh, to hear God's word, uh, to be with each other, um, to bear our burdens uh, to God. Chad and Jody and the kids are uh, off this month. Uh, it's good uh, for them to be away, uh, much uh, deserved time off. Uh, so uh, Brian and I are here uh, leading us, and uh, we have a guest with us, Andy uh, Abernathy. He is an Old Testament professor at Wheaton uh, College, and it's wonderful to have him with us. Uh, last week, he told us he is not an expert in Isaiah. However, he has spent a lot of time in Isaiah. So as we... Um, journey through this book of Isaiah. It's a real joy to have Andy here with us. Um, we have, The deacons have an announcement for us, so I'm going to invite Rob up uh, about the Thanksgiving baskets that we normally do. Just a really quick announcement. Um, we're doing Thanksgiving baskets again this year, and obviously with COVID, we can't do it um, the way we usually do it and go out and buy groceries and fill the basket. So we were buying gift cards. Uh, and so each basket is an $80 gift card to Jewel, I believe. And um, you, uh, you can either write out a check and put it in the offering plate in the back, or for those watching at home, you can go online on uh, Lincoln Square Prez website, and there'll be a drop down on the normal giving section that'll show you where to go for uh, Thanksgiving baskets. and. You don't have to give the full $80. If you can only give 10, if you give 20, whatever you can give, if you want to contribute something towards the Thanksgiving basket, uh, feel free to go online and give, or like I said, write a check into, drop it in the giving plate. Thanks. Thanks, Rob, and the deacons for leading us in that effort. Um, and just like Rob reminded, we do have an offering plate in the back uh, if you would like to give that way, or you can give online as well. As we gather to worship, let's take a moment to quiet our hearts and our minds, and then our musicians will lead us in our call to worship. Our call to worship is from Psalm 72. Although we are not singing together, you can stand and there's a responsive reading that you can join in with us. Blessed be the Lord who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Blessed be the Lord who alone does wondrous things. May the name of the Lord endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun May the people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. 
May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Blessed be the Lord who alone does wondrous things. You may be seated. Let us, uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty, everlasting, steadfast God, the one who created the heavens and the earth by your word and preserves all things, including our very lives, by the power of your spirit, you are worthy of all glory and honor. Blessed be your name above every name. However, you not only rule and reign by your might, but you draw us near to you through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, our King, reigns at your right hand and rules through mercy, justice, and truth. He models leadership by delivering the weak, oppressed, and lowly. He draws near to the marginalized and leads through his righteousness and grace. And in light of this truth, in light of our true king and his reign, Lord, we do pray for our newly elected officials, including our presidential-elect Joe Biden, vice presidential-elect Camelia Harris, and all of our elected officials across our city, state, and nation. We ask that you lead them, that you give them a sense of fear and a duty upon their hearts to govern for the good of those who they serve, and that they may not lead out of a place of self-seeking, of power-grabbing, but a desire to lead the way that you lead, the God who seeks those in need, the God who seeks and rules with righteousness and truth. Many of us do have anxious, mixed emotions, ranging from relief and joy to confusion and uncertainty by everything that is shifting around us. Lord God, meet us in all of these places. Remind us that your, our ultimate hope and security rests not in men and women who come and go, but in you, Christ Jesus, our King, the place of security, the place of steadfast refuge. God of mercy, we continue to plead with you for relief from the effects of this virus. Lord, we even see within our own city and our state these numbers are rising, and it is frightening, and it is scary. Lord, we pray that you would bring relief. We pray for healing for those who have been touched by this virus. We pray for comfort to family and friends who have lost dear loved ones. Lord, we pray that you would protect those who are vulnerable and weak to the effects of the virus. For those who have lost work and income because of this pandemic, we pray for provision. For those struggling with isolation and loneliness, we pray that you would meet them and comfort them by your spirit. Gracious God, we pray that you would strengthen us by your word and the sacraments, that you would meet us here as your people gather to worship and serve you and our neighbor. Renew us and nourish us for the work you've placed before us to extend the good news of Jesus and to serve you and others through our jobs, our relationships, and our activities. We pray that we would do all of this 
that we would honor you and glorify you and your kingdom. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our King and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship and pray together, um, it is a good thing for us that we have a God who hears our prayers, and not only our prayers, but also our burdens and our sins, and he is good to forgive. So we will do that both corporately, confessing our sins and laying before him our burdens, and we will do that privately as well. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you teach us the way of wisdom. You lead us in the paths of uprightness. But we are often afraid when we cannot see where you are leading us. And so we choose our own paths and turn away from your instructions. Gracious Lord, forgive us for doubting you and help us hold fast to your words. Give us wisdom and insight that we may follow you and trust you even when we do not understand the world around us. Take a moment for private confession. Lord God, if we were to tally up and list out all the ways in which we have failed and the ways we have sinned against you and the ways that we have failed to love those around us, the list would be too long. And yet, gracious God, you take that list and you crumple it up and you throw it away because you have given us forgiveness and grace by the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, would you please stand with me? Our words of assurance come from Isaiah, from chapter 40, and we'll recite this together. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. Praise the Lord. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Our gospel lesson is Luke 18, 31 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It's great to be back this week. As uh, I mentioned last week, uh, my wife Katie and I have uh, been friends with uh, Chad and Jody uh, for over a decade, and uh, Brian as well. And so this is our home away from home church, I would say. So it's great to be here uh, again with you. We're continuing in a series on Isaiah. And last week I preached on Isaiah 54, and this week I'll be preaching on Isaiah 55. And I was once at a talk where a famous kind of pastor scholar named N.T. Wright referred to Isaiah 40 to 55 as the most exquisite poetry and message in the Old Testament. And what we find in Isaiah 40 to 55, and really Isaiah 40 to 54, is a soaring call and vision for those who are in exile, for those who wonder, does God really even care? And the message uh, for these exiles is that no God compares with Israel's God, and that God is going to show his power by doing some wonders. God is going to predict in advance that a foreign pagan king Cyrus is going to allow God's people to return home and rebuild Zion. And even more than that, there's a greater restoration in view where God himself is going to return to Zion as king and God is going to use a suffering servant to reconcile Israel and the nations to himself. And as we saw last week, this great vision of Zion being filled with people once again. And now here in Isaiah 55, this is coming to a close. And it's time now for God's people to respond to this soaring vision of what God has promised. And they're invited now to turn to this God who has made such promises. So today we'll be looking at verses 6 through 13. And so I'll read that here for us as we begin. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him 
and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let me open us in prayer. Father, I thank you that we can gather here, consider your word. Lord, we are all in different places, yet we come seeking you, seeking your word, seeking that you would speak to us, seeking that you would make yourself known to us. So we invite you to meet us all where we're at, Draw us to yourself that we may delight more and more in your love and trust more and more in you, our great God of wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have another prop this week. I thought it worked with the kids last week. It's a little boat that never gets used. I found it in our attic but I thought we could use it today. It was November, about eight years ago, a man named Salvador Alvarenga got into his fishing boat off the course of Mexico. He's gonna go out for a few days of fishing. As he set sail, began fishing, a storm arose. Little did he know the storm would last for five days. The GPS, the, where you, know, you can locate where you are, wasn't waterproof. Goes out. The motor that was pushing the boat where it needed to go stopped working. The radio lost power and soon couldn't control where the boat was heading. The waves pushed him, the wind blew him, and soon he couldn't see land. He said he didn't know whether he was now headed north towards Acapulco, whether he was headed south towards Panama or where he was headed. In that journey of being unaware of where he is, lasted 436 days, pushed by wherever the winds and the waves took him until he landed on one of the small Marshall Islands, 
6,700 miles away. And I wonder if we could use this experience of Alberega to help us ponder where we are at this moment. How are you faring? We've had nine months amidst the waves of COVID, of isolation, of restrictions, of an election. Do you feel a bit lost at sea? Do you feel like you're floating wherever the wind and the waves of what's happening around us are blowing you? Or do you feel like, no, my, my GPS is pretty locked in still? How are you doing? I think our passage in Isaiah 55 today could be a little bit like GPS, help us locate where we are. And what we'll see in this passage is that our passage invites us in, into two sort of movements as we think about what direction we're headed in at this moment. The first direction we get is a call for us to abandon our own path. If that's the path we're on, if we're on our own path, God says, abandon that, reroute. And then the second would be, is now you need to seek God whose paths are far greater than our own. So let's think about this call to abandon our own path and what I mean by this. We see this in verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way or his path and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Notice the descriptors here, his. Abandon his way, his thoughts, the people of the time, we as well, can take self-sufficiency to an extreme that their way in life becomes based kind of on wherever your thoughts are leading you, whatever path is kind of seeming to make sense for you at the time. And it's not too difficult to imagine how those in Babylon would end up at this point. Imagine that you and your parents were uprooted from Jerusalem. You were forced to leave and you were taken on a 12,000 mile walk through treacherous terrain, and you eventually settle in Babylon, you're surrounded with uncertainty, you don't know what your future is gonna be like. And then the waves come as you're in Babylon, and the winds pushing you towards the way of life in Babylon, towards their gods. Maybe these gods are greater than our God. After all, they defeated us. Maybe these gods can help us live in this new area. Maybe it'd help us fit in more with our neighbors. Besides, it seems like our God has given up on us. They're trying to figure out life with their own thoughts, with their own paths. They're leaning on whatever they can figure out. And what God says is abandon that route that you're on right now. And what we could imagine happening among those exiles is common throughout Scripture. It begins with Adam and Eve. What do they do? They begin thinking, oh, that, that fruit actually looks desirable. 
maybe it would make me wise like God. Leaning on their thoughts and taking a path that they think may be a good one. Or think of the book of Judges, where at the end it describes them as doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And do we not do the same? Are we not tempted to navigate life independently from God? Based on whatever our thoughts, wherever paths we can detect. Now a mantra for us, I wonder, and for us in our world, could be in our brains we trust. Brains are 14 inches in centimeter, or 14 centimeters in diameter. And in our brains, there are 86 billion neurons. And each neuron has between 500 and 1,000 different neurons connected to it. Our brain is in inter- trillions of interconnections firing where we process information from our senses, and then we have thoughts, we have a sense for how to navigate life in this world. Our brains are absolutely remarkable gifts from God. But I wonder if as we live life and are pushed along by the waves of a secular world, or a world that we live in that seems like a closed universe where God isn't acting in it, where we operate as if it's up to us and our brains to figure life out. I wonder if our brains have become our substitute gods. What we hear in secular spaces is something like, hey, just do you. And what we mean by that is, like, just be true to whatever your brain is telling you about who you are and how you should be living. Or in religious spaces, you may hear advice along these lines of figure out what works for you as you think about what you want to do with religion in your life. And I think this sort of mentality has us in a default where we're just kind of pushed along by wherever our brains are leading us. And when a problem arises, like COVID or whatever else, our instinct is, all right, let's just, let's, we're going to figure this out. Or if we can't figure it out, we look to other brains to help us. Oh, Dr. Fauci says this. Or our local leaders say that. Or the latest blog post I found really insightful says this. And all of a sudden, we're bouncing around from what one brain is saying to what the next brain is saying. And we're finding ourselves on a particular path that's really our own paths, based on our own human thoughts. And our brains are wonderful gifts. I'm in academics, so. I am grateful for my brain and the brains of my students. But here's the thing. These little brains are only capable of grasping so much about life. They only grasp a bit of it. We don't grasp the whole of what's happening in our world and in our lives. And in fact, our brains are made to live not independently from God, 
but made to live in dependence upon God. And so I wonder, do you feel floating at sea as you're kind of leaning on your own thoughts, your own paths right now? If you do, what God's inviting us to from this passage is to abandon that path, abandon that way of life. And instead, what we see in the second move from abandoning our own path, we're called to seek the God whose paths are far greater than our own. Look at verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. For Isaiah, there's no guarantee that God will always be making Himself available. So they are to seek Him right now to call on Him. But I wonder if academics like me and Presbyterians are, tend to be quite fond of seeking understanding about ideas about God or thoughts about God. But what we have here in this passage isn't that. What we have is this passage is telling us to seek the person of God. To seek Him. It says, seek the Lord. The person, the Lord. Not just thoughts. The person of God. Seek Him. Call upon Him. It goes on in verse 7. Return to the Lord. Return to our God. So I ask, when is the last time you felt like you have honestly sought the Lord Himself? The last time you've abandoned your own paths and your own ways and turned to God Himself? When has that been? During the start of the pandemic, I don't know like you, I was somewhat surprised at my own heart. I thought I would find myself amidst the fear kind of casting myself completely on God and trust, and it's going to be this time where I'm just leaning into the Lord so closely. But that wasn't naturally happening. I was surprised that I wasn't hearing about spiritual awakenings where people are starting to see how the physical world is just so fragile and the need to turn to the God. I think we've continued operating in the world as if it's still a closed universe. Or I guess it never was a closed universe. <laughs> operating as if it were a closed universe. A world where God doesn't really act and we have just kind of figure out and persevere and, and try to navigate as best we can. But what Isaiah is saying is I know you've been in a crisis I know you've been drifting towards the gods of Babylon, towards the gods of America, but abandon these ways and seek the Lord. Seek me, says your God. What we find here are four reasons why, and these will be four very brief reasons, why the people should have confidence that this is what they should do. They should seek the Lord and abandon their paths. The first reason we see is because God abounds in forgiveness. Verse 7 says, Let him that return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
When you return to God, it's not as if, oh, I'll forgive that sin, maybe not that one. The jury's going to be out. I'm going to watch your behavior and see if you really mean it when you turn. No. God says, I will abundantly pardon you. Turn to me. Remember when I was a sophomore in college, I'd been rebelling from, against the Lord for a good three to four years. I was just completely set on my own paths and own thoughts in life. And finally, midway through my sophomore year, God brought me to a point where it's like, I am ready, Lord. I'm going to turn back to you. I remember the night where the, it all kind of came crashing upon me. But I immediately had a big pang of fear. After all the sin, all the guilt, all the shame that had been piling up, I thought, God may not want me back. He may not want me back. But God in His grace recalled some things I'd learned when I was younger. I remembered, oh yeah, that's why Jesus died. So that I can come back to Him. So I can be forgiven. And the other thing I remembered is the prodigal son, which we read last week. The Father accepts people like me back home. So Isaiah is saying, abandon those ways and turn back to God for one reason. He abundantly forgives. But a second reason for turning back to God we see in verses 8 to 9 is we should turn to Him because God's thoughts are far beyond our own. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So imagine Isaiah's audience. They've seen Zion destroyed. They're living as captives in a foreign land. They're immigrants who've been forced into exile. And now they're hearing Isaiah saying some radical things. Like God's going to use a foreign king Cyrus to let you go back. God is going to turn Zion into a garden like Eden. God's going to reconcile you and the nations to himself through a suffering servant. God's not done with you. In fact, Zion's tent is going to be filled with children that spread across the globe. This would have seemed utterly impossible. Zion is in ruins. They're 1,200, or over, how many was it? 6,000 <clears> or 1,200 miles away from home. What in the world is he talking about? A suffering servant reconciling? This would have been hard to understand. And what God says is listen, my thoughts are way above yours. My ways are way beyond yours. Seek me. And this very God who Isaiah is testing, testifying to is the very God who Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians, which was read before, where Paul says that the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved by it, it's the power of God. And later he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Our God can take a cross. 
this symbol of rejection, of weakness, of condemnation. And all of a sudden, he uses it to save us, to show his incredible power is incomparable wisdom. This is a God who says, my ways, my thoughts are far above yours, so come, seek me, abandon your ways. A third reason to turn to the Lord here is that God's word is going to accomplish its purpose. Verses 10 to 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God has been speaking through his word, speaking things that seemed unrealistic. They seemed unlikely to happen to people who are in situations where it seems like their circumstances cannot change. What God is saying, these words I've spoken aren't going to return to me empty. They are going to bring about fruit. So God's saying, turn to me. I'm the one you should seek. I'm the one you should call on. And then finally, we see we should seek and turn to this God because not only will he forgive, not only are his thoughts far greater than ours, not only will his word do what he promises, but your destiny will be joy. Look at verse 12. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So as we conclude, I ask, what is giving direction to your boat, to your life at the moment? Are the winds and the waves of your own brain and the brains around us in our culture Are they just carrying us along? If so, let Isaiah 55 be your GPS and help redirect you towards God Himself, to a God who's a forgiving God whose thoughts are far above our own. Let this path set you on a course that leads you to joy in our Father, in our Father who redeems his strain children through his suffering of his son, Jesus Christ. So people of God, I say, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Excellent word, 
What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for each to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand of help by my right. Just some departed hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee, thy troubles to pass, and sanctify to be thy deepest distress. As we come to the table, would you please stand with me and let us recite this, this prayer together. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for those of you who are here with us, uh, if you have the elements in your hands, you can prepare those. Um, if you didn't get them coming in, Pastor Brian's in the back. Just raise your hand and he'll bring you one. For those of you who are at home watching us right now or on the recording, it is good that you are with us. And um, even though you cannot be here, um, please use this time as a time of meditation and reflection and prayer. Well, by way of introducing the table, I wanted us to just hear these words from the same chapter that Andy spoke from, uh, preached on, chapter 55. It's the first two verses. They go like this. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. I, I use that to introduce our time. Um, it's a picture of the heart of our God, the one who calls those who are thirsty and weak and frail, those who find themselves out in the middle of the ocean of this life without that GPS and wondering, how am I going to get back? And yet he invites us to find grace 
here at this table. And that is what this is a picture of, grace, of him feeding our souls, of finding satisfaction in the one who can actually give us satisfaction to our longings and our desires. We see that in the bread, in Christ's body being broken. We see that in the, the wine and the, and as, he, as his blood is shed for us. And it's a beautiful picture for those who place their faith in him. This is the place to come. This is the place to find satisfaction, to find our relationship with God again, to be renewed, to be strengthened by his spirit in the bread and in the wine. Let us, let us pray over these elements now. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who calls us to yourself who calls us to feed upon the bread and the wine, to feed upon you, to find our satisfaction and rich food in knowing you. Gracious God, we know this by these elements. We know this by your word. Lord, we pray that you would use these elements for a sacred purpose, for a holy purpose, to feed us and to nourish our souls. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, this is my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The body of Christ, broken for you, take and eat. The blood of Christ poured out for you to cleanse you of your sins. Take and drink. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, the one who has given your son for us so that we may live, we thank you for your nourishment. We thank you that by your spirit that we are united here in this place and also with those who are worshiping with us. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us and use these elements to give us strength as we go out into our relationships, into our workplace, and to our neighborhoods. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King and our refuge. Amen. Amen. Well, would you please stand with me and we will respond to the table together. Christ is the bread of life. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, Lord Jesus, until you come in glory. Amen. Well, before I, I give the benediction, uh, just a friendly reminder, we're asking everyone to uh, move at a nice speed out of the sanctuary, not to congregate. And um, we, we are so blessed this evening to have such a beautiful night. So if you want to stick around and chat and talk and enjoy each other's fellowship, uh, please 
go ahead and move outside. And if, if you're willing and able, please uh, go ahead and move towards the parking lot rather than congregating on the sidewalk. Receive this benediction now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen.